Hello, my name is Celia Hirsch, and I'm a volunteer with Igniting Change, an intentionally tiny but outcome-mighty organisation based in Melbourne, Australia. Igniting Change has walked alongside many individuals and organisations making a difference, usually working with very thorny issues in decidedly unsexy areas. It's unlike any charity you may have previously encountered, and its catchphrase is, see the person, not the label. What we are seeking to do with this podcast is introduce you to the people of Igniting Change and the people we work alongside. Today, our guest is Mirabelle founder and CEO, Jane Rowe. Jane, welcome. Absolute pleasure to be here. I'm going to start with a very basic question. For people who don't know, what does Mirabelle do? Mirabelle takes care of children who've been orphaned or abandoned due to parental drug use. And in its sort of simplicity, it's about restoring a sense of love and belonging to their lives. It's um, making sure that they don't feel that they were to blame and also ensuring that they have the very best opportunities to lead a fulfilling life and break the cycle of addiction. When a child is orphaned or abandoned, is it mainly the grandparents that they end up with, that you're dealing with? With the Absolutely. With, with the children Mirabelle are working with, they're placed in kinship care, which is an extended family member, more often than not a grandparent. How did you get into this field? My background for many years was a drug and alcohol counsellor. And 20 years ago, Mirabelle's 20 this year, when the fatality overdose rate was absolutely soaring. And I knew many young women and men, but women who were needlessly and tragically overdosing and just being struck about the fact that what was going to happen to their children and that would never make the newspapers. It was um, no one seemed to stop and think that there were often children involved and I went to the funeral of a young mum who I'd known who was trying to get into detox and there are no beds available. She had overdosed and at the funeral her young son was at the funeral and his biological family who he'd never met were there because mum's drug use had so fragmented the family that they didn't even know that he existed. And as they lowered mum's coffin, this little boy went running up crying, going, where are you putting my mummy? He was then taken away by emergency care workers. He, his future was he would have been placed from home to home until a permanent home could be found. That could take 18 months, two, three years. And he'd lost all sense of love and belonging at that moment. And without a doubt was far more likely to use drugs or attempt suicide later in life with that amount of grief, trauma and bereavement. So was he the first child that you took in? No, he he wasn't actually the first child because that was what set my mind thinking about Mirabel. And it was, you know, some months later when we were actually formed, even though we, I pulled together some terrific people, founding members over the next couple of weeks and ran a benefit concert. But initially it was actually just to raise money to buy Christmas presents for the children like this little boy who I knew um, had lost a parent. But what came, became very apparent in those early months when we were doing research was there needed to be a service 
for these children. And that sort of, in a very sort of organic way, that's how Mirabel started. And tell me about those early days. Were you fundraising constantly? Were you talking to people? How did you get people involved? The word got out quite quickly. I remained as a counsellor at Windana, where I'd worked for many years, and I was running Mirabel from home. Again, having no idea that it was probably going to grow so rapidly. So the first thing was actually about doing research, talking to other agencies, other services. And then we got picked up very quickly. Amanda Hooten from The Good Weekend heard of us, came and did an article. 60 Minutes heard about us, wanted to do a feature. Triple J heard about us, wanted us to be the recipient of the real appeal. So it just sort of grew. Had its own momentum. It had its own momentum. When did Igniting Change come into the picture? When did you meet Jane? Very early. So Jane hadn't been in Australia that long when we met. So we're going back to the very, very early days. Did you two get along straight away? How did the uh, synergy between the two organisations happen? We absolutely got on immediately. Um, And apart from, I think, Jane being able to be a a mentor in many ways for me personally. She had complete empathy, compassion for what Mirabel was trying to achieve. And apart from being able to sort of steer us in the right direction financially, was able to introduce us to people who would, you know, who still remain involved with us to this day. So in many ways, it's like putting a loyal army together that um, still remain with us. How big of a problem is it still? It's a huge problem. Mirabel alone currently receives about seven new referrals a week of children being referred to us. So the drug culture may have changed. You know, when I started counselling, ICE wasn't, you know, part of the picture. So there, I think there are many more accessible drugs now. And I think it's a breakdown in our community, society. I think in many ways people take drugs for different reasons to perhaps what they did in the 60s or 70s or when I was a kid growing up. I think it's about an absolute lack of belonging, connection, no sense of hope, and generational now too. You know, it's a way of life. So although we're working very closely with the children to try and break that cycle, I think it's a community issue. And we've got to at some point start asking the questions of why do people take drugs and not be punitive about it, but actually see it's a whole range of problems that it is not going to go away until we start addressing that. Are there, have there been a different set of circumstances for the children of people who are, who are using different drugs? Do, are they, do they behave differently to the children? Are the children more damaged? Or Certainly the children are witnessing much more trauma because there's a lot of psychosis now, a lot of violence. So many of the, most of the children that will now come to Mirabel are, have experienced trauma. There can also be a lot of educational delays, a whole range of different issues, whether that's in utero or due to early development. I think we've still got a long way to find all that out. But I would say, without a doubt, the issues are far more complex and children have experienced far more violence. Both they've been victims of violence and they've witnessed violence and 
or you know mum being murdered or yeah it is a very different picture now there's a lot of horror that you're hearing and a lot of trauma and tragedy. How are you able to process that, get through all that and be ready to help out the next person, the next child who comes in? I have enormous hope. I'm a, I'm a realistic optimist. Uh, I still absolutely firmly believe there are many, many more good people in this world than bad. And I know without a doubt that you can change a child's life. I think you have a window pane when you can get in and whether it's um, putting, you know, one or two people in their lives or helping them address their trauma, you can absolutely change the direction of a child's life. Now, that's not saying we can make every child's life a bed of roses, but I believe that we can improve it in some way. And what about kinship care as the grandparents? You must have met some extraordinarily brave and, and oh, kind people. Unbelievable. You know, a typical scenario would be there'd be, um, you know, an, a knock on the door of a grandmother's house. Um, could be a policeman or whoever there with one, two, three, four of her grandchildren who says, I'm so sorry, your daughter died in the early hours of the morning. Um, would you like to take on the care of your grandchildren? So these grandparents are absolutely dealing with the heartbreak of a loss of a child. Then, you know, many, you know, with very, very little income, committing to keeping the children together as a family, raising them and then seeing all the um, behavioural problems, the trauma that these children are experiencing. And then the grandparents' life becomes very isolated because suddenly they need to be at the kindergarten or at the school. So it is just layer upon layer of grief and social isolation. And you're helping the children, but you're also providing feedback and a shoulder to cry on to the carers as well, aren't you? Yes, we run programs for Mm. the carers because it's about working with the whole family. So we run support groups for the grandparents, aunts and uncles, and there's something so comforting in being with people who are walking in your shoes. So what we find more often than not is a grandparent may ring us and say look, even my neighbours don't know why I'm bringing up my grandchildren. They think my daughter died in a car accident because there is so much judgement and Mm. stigma. Mm. So for them to be able to meet with other people in the same position and help one another because they've had that same experience is about empowering. And Mirabel is all about empowering people, promoting independence, but at the same time being there right through. Um, And I think understanding a shoulder to lean on and kindness. I still maintain that kindness is a very underestimated (laughs) gesture. How does all this get funded? How does Mirabelle keep going now for 20 years? How is this all happening? We've got some amazing um, donors. Um, The philanthropic sector have been absolutely incredible. There are organisations like Igniting Change that are constantly introducing us to people or helping us get funding to run new programmes. We do events, not too many events, because I think there's a lot of events that a lot of people are constantly asked to. So we try and do slightly different events, fun events, so people have a good time whilst helping the cause, and we're incredibly supported by the entertainment industry. So we're very fortunate. So you had a, a big concert a, a little while ago. Can you just run through some of the names associated with that? Because I think people would be 
a bit shocked that a, a tiny organisation like Mirabelle could get yes. together such great entertainment. When we were launched 20 years ago, when Mirabelle was you know, quite a small idea, we were, um, it was at the Prince of Wales, and we went back to the Prince of Wales a few weeks ago to celebrate our 20th, and Paul Kelly, who launched us, played at our 20th. Wow. Which was absolutely <laughs> fantastic. Yep. We had Deborah Conway, who is our patron, yep. was there with, with Willie. Mm-hmm. They played. We had Vicar and Linda Ball, Claire Baldwich. We just had a who's who. Showbiz royalty. Absolutely. But I think all of them are connected with Mirabel. All of them have, um, you know, done events for us before or know about us. And as the musicians said on the night, you know, when they came off the stage, they went, oh, wow, you can feel the love in this room. And it was incredibly special. That love and support hasn't extended to, to government support for kinship carers, has it? No, look, it's on their agenda. We get a little bit of government support, not much. You know, we need two and a half million a year, at least, just to keep running the programs that we do. Between um, Vic and federal government, we get about 200 plus. So kinship care, we, a lot of what we do is lobbying in Canberra. They're aware of it, but there is a, still a huge discrepancy. I mean, we'd be, you know, it'd be a big step if kinship carers actually got the same allowance as benefits as foster carers. Foster carers don't get much either, but to at least be seen... To get the same. To get the same. Mm. So, and it varies state to state. So, no, there is still huge, huge discrepancy. Have you come across situations where children just can't stay with carers anymore for if they've passed away or if yes. they simply can't afford it that must be terrible yes if they can't afford it we will absolutely try and do everything to ensure that that placement stays Stay. yes but yes carers have died particularly as Mirabel's getting to 20 you know some of the young teenagers whatever grandparents are dying or no longer able to um, take care of the children uh, part of what we try and do is involve the whole family so that a child never feels that they will be abandoned again because they're fear of someone dying. So we try and put things in place so there's extended family members who are there who that child will go to if a grandparent dies or is no longer able to mm. take care of children. One of the things that's most impressed me when I've attended Mirabelle Functions has been the young ambassadors who've been through the program and they have stunned me with their eloquence, their understanding, their wisdom, their maturity and I think all young people need to know about the struggles of other kids and you know kids who turn up to school with the wrong shoes or the wrong socks and you know there's generally reason for that and I think if we can instill compassion by, you know, whether it's by using ambassadors from Mirabelle, I don't know, but I think that it's something that... I agree. I think, um, for a start with the community, I think, you know, it's our values that, you know, get passed on to our children that then get displayed in the playground. Mm. So I think as a community, if we can become a little bit more understanding or aware of it even, I think that's a huge step for social change. And... Yes, you know, our Mirabel young people. Now, you know, you asked me earlier what keeps me going. (laughs) Boy, that fills me with joy. So the Mirabel alumni, as we now call them, and they are incredible. 
And again, they will go to one of our children's therapeutic groups. And for a child to see this person to go, wow, That's you had the I same life as me and yeah. is incredible. And the highlight for me, you know, a few months ago was a young boy that was involved with Mirabel since the age of eight and you know, we supported him right through and then he wanted to study to be a youth worker and he's a staff member with us so it's done the full circle. Mm. What a mighty young man he is. And yes, those young people have such influence over those young children because it's like, you know how I feel. It's hope. It's hope. Yeah. Absolutely hope. And it's also, for, for those of us who thankfully haven't been through it, it's just sheer admiration and appreciation of their guts. Totally. Now, there's some good news. Oh, I love good there news. With your new headquarters. That is so exciting. Yeah. Tell me about that. We have finally bought an office. It's been a dream for years. We've been saving and doing fundraisers for it. It took years. We would go to... Um, auctions and we wouldn't even get our hand up at the opening bid but to cut a long story short we a few months ago secured this property in St Kilda I love it because we always wanted to be in the center of things somewhere that the children could get transport to it's got so much heart and soul it's quirky it's being um, renovated at the moment or it resembles a building site at the moment we hope to be there in January and that will be a place not only for the Mirabel team and the staff, but for the grandparents, the kids. It is something that is just the most wonderful way to celebrate our 20th birthday. Can you describe what you've been operating out of up until this point? I can. <laughs> We've been operating out of a rental property that is equipped for 12 people and there are 26 of us working in there. So to even run groups for the kids or carers, we, you know, we have to rent little rooms everywhere. Uh, we all hot desk. We're all very good at that, but we won't know ourselves. And I've got to say also, it is incredibly cold. So in winter, you won't see one staff member w- without their coat off. So it is just, we're going to be spoilt rotten with this new place. This might sound like a, a weird question, but... What does Mirabelle stand for? That is um, probably the most commonly asked question. Is it? Yeah. (laughs) Basically what happened was that funeral I spoke to you about was on a Thursday. By the Monday, I'd managed to get an amazing benefit concert together. It all happened very quickly. And so then I had to sort of get a name for this organisation. And I thought, I don't want a name that makes the children sound like victims, Mm. etc., etc., so when I was a child, I was always told, or this is in primary school, I was told the story of a Saint Mirabel who lived in France and took care of all the unwanted, neglected, abandoned children and had you know, no money but never turned a child away. So for me, it was a little bit like a fable of someone synonymous with children. So I dropped the Saint and called it Mirabel. Beautiful. What was it about your upbringing, do you think, that made you this compassionate person? I think my, um, my parents were very compassionate. They, um, they were very non-judgmental. They were very kind. And I think as a child, you just absorb that as osmosis. I mean, that is just the way you are. I, should, I also, I was very fortunate. I had a very privileged upbringing. And I always just felt this 
this need to um, give back a little bit because I felt that um, I'd been very fortunate and it's all about helping one another and which isn't to say there weren't complexities in the family and a whole range because all families you know have that but I think it was very much um, my parents and feeling that I was very very fortunate and um, therefore needed to do something for those less fortunate. Mm. Do you think that overall as a society we're getting better at that or worse? Oh, I think it's mixed. I think people vote with their hip pockets. I think we're very me, 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 very materialistic, very disposable, very influenced by all that sort of glamorous reality, material Mm. rubbish, which isn't to say equally it's not good entertainment at times, but it's fantasy and I think it has a very strong influence and it's a distraction. So I'm not sure we're getting better at it. I think conversations are happening, like mental health and a whole range of things that um, equal rights, those things are being absolutely spoken about, but talk can be cheap. So we need to be seen to be absolutely acting on that. So I, I think there is movement, but I think there is a long way to go. And I think a lot of the time people feel so overwhelmed with all the issues, whether it's in our country or in the world, and think I can't make a difference. People need to know each of us can make a difference, whether it's a gesture of kindness, tolerance, or cleaning up our own street corner. Mm. I think if we all felt that, yes, we can bring about change and don't feel defeated by it, then I think people perhaps would jump in more. Mm. I think people don't quite get that small acts of kindness add up to something bigger it's like a snowball absolutely but it's good to see that people will support organizations like mirabelle and i should say that i'm meeting new donors the whole time and you know young donors that want to get involved so i think there is a whole social conscience out there particularly with the younger people i think um yeah i I think think you're right yeah which is great Mm. i ask everyone what's the one thing that igniting change has taught you I think it's the power of people. I think without a doubt, it's the mighty power of like-minded people getting together that can bring about change. It's not about background or profession. It's about a heartfelt like-minded people. That's it for this Igniting Change podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, please be sure to press subscribe to ensure you don't miss future episodes. Thanks for listening and remember, see the person, not the label.